What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are going back out to the island, to the desert island. That's right, we've got somebody in who's going to be telling me the three comics they would take to their desert island. I'm joined by Max Byrne, one of the many people producing fantastic, fantastic content for Comics in Motion. Uh, Max, how are you doing? You all right, mate? I am great, Scott. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's a huge honour. I've been a fan of your show for a good while now, since I think the first episode I heard of yours was the Rocky retrospective you did a year or two uh, ago. Okay, yes. Christmas yeah, yeah. before last, I seem to remember listening to it. Christmas shopping with it in my ears a couple of years ago. <laughs> And uh, listen ever since, so I am honoured beyond measure to be on. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the compliment. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's been many good retrospects. The Rocky one was a, was a cracker. Um, uh, but yeah, no, you, well, you've, you've started your own. You've, you, know, you obviously uh, yeah. write for, for DC uh, Comic News mm-hmm. um, and obviously work, now we're working with Comics in Motion as well. So what about, do you want to tell people about your podcast as well and what you do on yours? Yeah, sure. Uh, the show's called Mandatory Marvel and DC. Um, as we're recording this, episode 13 has just dropped today, actually, so go and mm-hmm. check it out. And every show is basically me and a, a guest, and we just spend an hour or so discussing a classic book or classic story arc from either Marvel or DC, be what it may. Um, it's always a choice of the guest as to what we uh, discuss because, you know, best if it's something that's dear to their heart. So I don't have any say. The guests hold all the cards. So we just we just chat about it. We've done, yeah, like I said, 13 episodes now, a good mix of Marvel and DC, you know, some classic stuff on there like Marvel Civil War, DC Kingdom Come, The Killing Joke, The Judas Contract. So if it's a a big two comic and it's a big hitting storyline and chances are we'll cover it at some point so uh you know hopefully people give it a chance and enjoy it yeah, yeah should do go check it out it's fantastic i think you did some cracking stuff on there uh like you say you've done some big hitters you've done watchmen you've done killing joke and so, yeah. so some really like you say it's going to be interesting as you get to a point of you know uh once you've done those big the big hitters um, you are going to get to people's like favourite storylines and stuff like that. So it's going to be some mm. interesting. Uh, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, great podcast uh, on all iPod, uh, iPod, all uh, podcast catchers. So go find it. Uh, yeah. But today you you are bringing me some comics. Um, <laughs> your Desert Island comics, and as you said, sort of yourself, you're more of a trade uh, paperback man, sort of a collector's edition, which I, I totally understand. Um, mm. But that's kind of why I like doing this because it sort of challenges people to pick. It's easy to pick an arc, isn't it? Because you can sort of sometimes yeah. go, oh yeah, I love that book. And you go, oh, but what's your favourite issue? Um, uh, or a one-shot, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's a bit more snappy. So, uh, Max, what have you chosen and brought with us, brought with you today? Okay, so the three I've gone for, I've kind of tried to spread this at a range out. So I've chosen one DC, one Marvel, and one something else. Mm. So... In chronological release order, the ones I've picked, I've gone for the 1991 Dark Horse release uh, Terminator story entitled One Shot. 
And then I've gone further forward in time to 1994 for issue one of the Marvel series simply entitled Marvels by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. So issue one of that. And then bringing it almost all the way up to date to 2016, I've gone for the DC Universe Rebirth um, expanded one shot by uh, Jeff Johns. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a real... Um, it covers a real gamut, actually, uh, of, yeah. of different things. Um, and as I had, luckily, I had all of them to hand, which was fantastic uh, in, <laughs> in varying ways. Um, but yeah, uh, what made you sort of? Because it is, like I say, I like the fact you picked the Marvel DC books. So was there anything that sort of directed your hand towards any of these in particular, or was it uh, just a sort of like, oh yeah, that's something I'm not to talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, I was obviously when you set, as I set me the task of coming up with three to when you uh, very kindly invited me on, I was thinking, right, I better get to this now and sort of um, start perusing the bookshelf. And I was always going to pick DC Universe Rebirth number one because for, mm. for me, it's probably the most significant single issue of the last five years. Well, obviously, we'll discuss that in uh, mm. in greater detail later on as we as we sort of move through the years and. For Marvel, I just wanted to pick something that sort of encompassed the Marvel universe as opposed to something specifically about a character, kind of in the way the DC one I've just mentioned mm. is. It's not specifically character related. It's the whole universe. I'm a sucker for a, a big crossover issue. So, <laughs> um, and anything, again, we'll get a bit more detail, but anything with Alex Ross art in it mm. immediately sort of has my attention and makes me want to just pick it up and pour over it time after time. So that was always going to be a winner. And then obviously with the first one, the Terminator on the Dark Horse, um, I deliberately obviously wanted to pick something that wasn't one of the big two for a change. And I'm an absolute sucker for stuff that sort of expands upon existing media i love licensed properties being made into comic book form where they you know they'll take like a, a, a beloved film or a, a tv show and put it out there and expand the universe and the mythology so um yeah it was always one i was going to gravitate towards awesome yeah now i have to admit like, i've really enjoyed going back to all of these and uh, yeah. you say about alex ross art and we like to say we'll get into it but it's so much special. I think mm. there, are, there are certain, you know, like say rock, superstar, rock star artists and stuff yeah. in the comics industry. And um, <clears throat> Alex Ross is just, he's in that top tier, isn't he, really? Yeah. Um, especially, you know, doesn't do interiors often anymore, but, no. you know, it's, uh, yeah, so The Marvels is a, is a great book. Um, okay, so let's go all the way back. I've got it here. I've got my, uh, my big uh, hardcover uh, the Dark Horse recently got their special editions yeah. uh, to celebrate. So I've got it obviously contains what they've now called The Tempest, but it was originally just called The Terminator, four, yeah. four part series, and then uh, One Shot. Mm. Um, so, so, yes, let's start talking about that. So, come on, you, you can start, it's your choice. So, what are your thoughts then on One Shot if we get started on it? And uh, we'll start talking about the story as well. Mm. Well, I, like I said, I love licensed stuff and I, I love mythology i'm a sucker for things that tie into uh, pre-existing worlds i mean when this came out in 91 i believe it was mm. it was the same year that terminator 2 was there wasn't it at the cinema so this was probably the absolute peak year in terms of popularity for the terminator franchise i don't believe it's ever been as hot or as popular as it was 
the year T2 came out. Cause I or as good, let's be honest. <laughs> well, yes, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, as much as I do love, I love all the Terminator films. I really do. Mm. Even the crap ones I still love. Um, and I thought Dark Fate was a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for last year. But yeah, 91 was the peak of the franchise with Terminator 2 because that's the one that was easily the most commercially successful and critically acclaimed, I would say. And it was, you know, even to this day, it's nearly 30 years on. It's regarded as a sort of apex of Schwarzenegger's career. Mm-hmm certainly for that franchise arguably james cameron's best film but i suppose that's between that and aliens at least for me i would say um but yeah so this book is really good because what it does is it takes the events of the film but doesn't sort of re-depict them but sort of depicts an event that was going on literally alongside the events of the first film with another Sarah Connor where obviously in the film you saw um when Arnie goes back he starts knocking off uh, for want of a better word, uh, eliminating um, Sarah Connors via the phone book before he gets to the Sarah Connor. And obviously, yeah. we know he's uh, ultimately unsuccessful in his mission. But this is concurrently occurring in the same timeline was another robot was sent back, a female one this time, to do basically the same job and eliminate other Sarah Connors. So this is, you know, it's a, it never stops this book. As soon as it starts, as soon as the narrative kicks in, it literally never takes a breath for its its whole run. It's just a great read. It's a great romp. It's violent. Um, I love it. Are you a fan? I am, actually. It's one of those that I read years ago. I picked this up in a charity shop many, many years ago. And I mean, the first thing is that I love it. I love Matt Wagner's art. I, I've always been a fan of like, his painted art and stuff. It's quite blocky at times, and it's sort of... Uh, it just reminds me of sort of like he did a couple of things um, for smaller comics and they're always really good. So yeah. I, I enjoy the art, <clears throat> but also like reading it, I've forgotten how good and how weird the story is. Um, yeah. Cause, cause I say, cause it's, it's, it, it hints at everything that's going on. Like, you know, um, throughout the book, there are sort of like hints of, of the other, or the, say the, the main story. Mm. Um, but this whole thing sort of just goes on it on its side, and then you're introduced to all kinds of different things. Like, um, you, know, you said, there's a female Terminator sent back way before T3 jumped on that bandwagon. So mm-hmm. you know they yeah. weren't the first to do it. Yeah. But more than that, you get this sort of like uh, older dude who's retired from the police force, mm. um, has a pet monkey, which <laughs> for no apparent reason, but it's still quite cool. <laughs> yeah. um, and it turns out that, like you said, the twist is that he's also from the future and mm. was actually sent back um, to before all this happened, like 10 or so years before um, the Terminators arrived and has been there to sort of help and support and guide Sarah Connor sort of from a distance yeah, or acts to protect her. Um, and you sort of think, oh, wow, that's, again, you know, it's time travel. These things can be done. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting twist really and the way they deal with it really as well is um it's all addressed you know he says he says oh yeah kyle reese will have has has gone back and he's with sarah connor now and they're like well why didn't you go and he's like because i sort of saw there was somebody else in trouble so you know kyle's got that one i I sort of i'll jump into this i think that's really cool Mm. um so yeah no i've really enjoyed this you know you say it is a romp like it just gets it starts and doesn't stop yeah absolutely Um, yeah and uh, so, yeah, I, I think it, I think as a as a one shot, it's really good. I like the fact it's called one shot. It is a one shot, but then obviously that plays yeah. out more in the finale as well. 
Um, yeah, it does. I mean, what are your thoughts about the way that sort of um, the art in this is portrayed? What, what are your thoughts on Wagner's art? I love it. I think it's at times it's almost like abstract avant-garde mm. the way he depicts things he's not he doesn't depict things in a realist manner that's for sure i mean when we get to speaking about alex ross and his sort of almost photorealistic style yeah this is sort of the other end of the spectrum isn't it but yes you know there's nothing wrong with that you know you it's horses for courses um and there's like a almost like a sort of a futurist quality to it it's really off off the wall at times at times it's quite conventional when he's sort of you know got f just figures in a frame but then there's other like the, the action stuff it's incredibly stylized and um, really vivid as well and and it works well with the color scheme because the colors are at, at times vivid but at times as well really sort of washed out and gray it all contributes towards this sort of bleak situation that the characters find themselves in. i love the art i'm a big fan of it yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with the colour scheme because that's something yeah. that's so fascinating about this book is the majority, like the vast majority, is painted in like browns and greys and beige and, you know, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a wash with colour. The yeah. whole thing's very muted and very sort of, like you said, washed out. And then all of a sudden, you do get like these flashes of colour. Um and especially in the action, I mean, there's a couple of scenes I'm just looking through now, like, you know, uh, straight away, as soon as there's a gunfire, like, it's a big ball of flame, like, it's a proper, yeah. um, and even now, there's a, there's a, I mean, there's a two-page spread, um, you know, everything's sort of small, and it's, it's sort of, uh, I'll find it now. here you go, so it's sort of, like, preceded by a, ch a chase, um, yeah. Sarah Connor, the not the Sarah Connor, but our Sarah Connor for the story, mm -hmm. is in a taxi and she's been chased down. And yeah. even the, the car chase itself is what covers like maybe two, two and a half pages. It's fine, it's good, it's sort of you get the, the idea of momentum. Um, and as you said, sort of done by sort of like in, in a sort of surrealist way, it sort of mm. stops, and then you get this page of triangular panels depicting sort of like an oncoming something and then there's just this massive two-page spread that's like yeah. all darks but with these like yellows and orange and reds and sort of all these gunfires and sort of you know the, the flaming eyes of the terminator and you're like oh my god this is gorgeous like yeah. oh, this comes out of nowhere um yeah i think it's phenomenal i think the art in it is absolutely phenomenal yeah. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It just works really well with the story and the situation, and and the story itself is great as well because you know our heroine in inverted commas is actually a pretty terrible person as you uh, yeah. sort of delve into the story. In a way, she gets kind of gets what's coming to her because she was going to do exactly the same thing to her literally newlywed husband. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing I find most bizarre about this is yeah. like. You know, apart from um, the the guy that's sort of from the future anyway. Yeah, um, Ruggles, yeah. Ruggles, yeah, great name. <laughs> Ellis um, Ruggles, what a name. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only sort of like legitimately sort of good person. Yeah. Everybody else is sort of like varying levels of just, like you said, vile. Even, so it's basically sort of this Sarah Connor. She was originally called Sarah, Sarah Doyle, something like that. 
Sarah Sarah Lang. Sarah Lang, that's it. And she's now yeah. married. Uh, she's married someone who has the sort of the surname Connor. Yeah. And this, this guy is like a, a, an artist, like you know, they call him like a starving artist kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it turns out he's got a fortune hidden away. So she only married him so that they could, she and her lover could then kill him off and claim the fortune. Yeah. So you're like, all right, so you're vile. <laughs> and then when you sort of get to know the artist guy, he's still like a bit of a pretentious prick as well. Yeah. So it's like, it's bizarre that like, it's quite brave for you to go, oh no, you've got to have the sympathy of these people, or at least you've got to you know, empathise with these people. Um, and, yeah. you know, it's you, sort of like you, you're supposed to follow them on their journey, but it's quite hard, isn't it, really? Because you think, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to root for her um, because mm. you, you're supposed to, basically, in the story. You've got this evil cyborg from the future who's literally um, after this woman merely because of her name. You know, uh, like in the first film, he, you mm. know, he guns down two or three other Sarah Connors who have got nothing to do with the future and saving mankind. They're just literally victims of their surname. They yeah. pay for it with their lives with their names. And this woman's no different. She, she, and she's literally just become Connor by the fact that she just married uh, Mr. Michael Connor is his name. Yeah. But because she's dreadful and was planning to kill him, like you say, kill him, take his money, which he lied to her about anyway, he doesn't know she knows about it, and basically run off with her, her other fella. You can't root for her as such, because you kind of almost read this and, and want her to get caught and gunned down because she kind of deserves it you know you're kind of just hoping that her husband who even when he finds out about her plot with her other half he he's like oh well oh, well i still love you so you know let's work through it you know let's let's survive this situation and then we'll work we'll work through it love can grow <laughs> which you know what a absolute buffoon he is so he kind of deserves to suffer as well even though he ultimately is along with peanut the monkey he's the one who's sort of <laughs> still around at the end yeah. um so in a way this sarah connor although you're supposed to sort of in a way want her to survive and root for her and hope she escapes and somehow manages to destroy this robot that's trying to kill her you actually think well you're an absolute piece of work and you mm. deserve it you deserve it so i actually want this so that's why i like this story because it's kind of like um it's like the dark mirror version of the first film where you read yeah. Sarah Connor and you, you want her to win and kill Arnie and ride off into the sunset with Michael Bean because you're rooting for her. This one, you're like, ah, kill her, get rid of her. She, she doesn't deserve to be alive anyway. So that's why I like this story. Cause like you said, it's so, it's such a bold choice by um, James Robinson, the writer, mm. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. Like you, you make a really good point there. This is almost like the um, antithesis of the Terminator. Cause mm. Sarah Connor in that, you know, um, is depicted as sort of like a young, you know, she's a waitress and she's mm. young, naive and fresh for the world. And in this, like you say, you, you, well, it's not re revealed straight away. It's uh, it's slowly depicted, you know, sort of like in the first sort of section of the book. Because the first section of the book is just her, um, you know, on the run. In the, mm. And it's only when she goes to sort of take shelter at her lover's place that uh, it's you find out that she is. They are planning to kill him, uh, the yeah. her husband, and that's when you're like, oh, like that sort of like you know the act two of it. You're like, all oh, right, okay, that's uh, that's taking a left turn, um, <laughs> and it is. It's sort of I mean, to, to, you know, spoilers for the end. Um, obviously, the Terminator succeeds as well. Like they defeat yeah. the Terminator, but then the Terminator also managed to sort of they're on a boat. They, uh, Ruggles uh, shoots the Terminator with a, 
as you say, it's one shot. It's like a gun that is sort of like he's used present day technology, or well, actually eighties technology, to uh, you know forge this gun that can mm. kill a Terminator. Yeah, and he does it, but it doesn't quite work. So he gets one shot. He gets one sort of thing off, um, and drags her into the sea. Yeah. And so it drowns her. And again, like yeah. you say, you end up with these sort of mixed feelings at the end because you're like, well, she was a, like you said, she was a piece of work. She was planning on killing this guy. Mm. Um, and the Terminator's been successful. So I'm sort of split on it. So it's quite, it's quite, it's like, and just to leave it on that note as well, you're a bit like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a wonderfully self contained story isn't it because the 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 terminator ultimately like you said succeeds in its mission its mission was to kill her mission accomplished but dies in the process so it can't then go on to whatever its secondary objective was i guess if it had one um and that's it isn't it and so the husband who's literally just been through the night from hell he found out that his his wife who who he was in love with who just married actually wanted to kill him and only wanted him for his money that he didn't know she knew about then they've just he's just had to survive being chased through the city by a murderous cyborg from the future and then said wife has literally been murdered before his eyes and he's as his ruggles was mortally wounded at the end as well so he's just Mm. left with him and ruggles his monkey i mean yeah where'd you go from there <laughs> that guy i would yeah. i would quite like to have seen where he went from there did he go insane or did he did he become like um like sarah connor does i guess between one and two films where she sort of you know sort of toughens up and decides to try and you know take the fight to sky you know, yeah exactly yeah. What, what becomes of him i want to know that's it i almost wanted like you say a little epilogue yeah. that just sort of says you know like two years later or whatever and has him yeah. doing something because but then again, he's such, he's such a wet sponge that he probably wouldn't, you know. No. I mean, again, sort of looking at the finale, like, you know, the, Ruggles shoots the Terminator. It has, like, this electrified moment. It then falls down, clang, dead, as you sort of <laughs> see it. And he sort of, like, her husband sort of says, like, as you said, oh, look, yeah, I know you, you now know about the money. You can have it. I'm not interested. You can have the money. I love you. Yeah. I want to be with you. And she's yeah. sort of like, for a second, she's like, oh, okay. Then she turns a gun on him. Yeah. And so it's a really hammer home. It's just like, no, no, she's actually an absolute piece of shit and sort of like not, not to be um, trusted. It's, it's a yeah. real, um, yes, it's, it's bizarre. Um, it is. It is. Definitely stands it works up. well. It works really well. I think it stands up in that sort of, like you said, in the fact it is a one-shot, a self-contained little story that it just seems to exist in... Um, the Terminator mythos. Mm. You know, it doesn't have any. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what does happen to Michael Connor, but there's, there's no. Um, you know, f- uh, future timeline sort of like. Um, yeah. Implications. It doesn't impact on Sarah's story. There's no loot. There's no holes where you're like, oh, well, that's crazy. That should have uh, been in the film. No, it's it's nice and self-contained yeah it is yeah it feels it feels very much like it belongs in the world of the film mm. but do, like you said it, it just it's in its own sort of pocket of that film universe and doesn't in any way detract from the events of the film or lead you to think well if that happened then then does that affect the timeline of the film none of that apart from well i suppose apart from maybe the terminator um chassis going down to the bottom of the ocean and yeah. <laughs> maybe one day a submarine could have picked it up you know like they do with the arm from arnie in mm. the first one and, and sort of sort of um reverse engineer that to to build the kind of technology i mean it's, you know if you're nitpicking you could say well there's a terminator skeleton at the bottom of the um 
at the bay there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So someone could have stumbled across it in years to come. But um, aside from that, I just think it's a really great, tense, action-packed, great story with interesting characters who are sort of incredibly unsympathetic Mm. and yet you're still expected to root for them against this killing machine that's mercilessly hunting them down you know i find myself caring more for the poor sods who are killed in the crossfire in the hotel hotel lobby and the hotel elevator they just get blown away you know i I do like that scene when sort of like you know sarah connor's like literally got like a gun barrel in her face and it's a bunch of old people step out the lift and get like wiped out it's it is it's wonderfully violent and stuff it's it is it's good fun i'm I'm not definitely recommend it if you're a terminator fan um I mean, it almost also plays to me, one of the things I really enjoyed as well, it plays to me a little bit like, um, you know, that sort of uh, Tales from the Crypt or like um, in 2000 AD, they used to have sort of things called future shocks. And yeah. it's like this idea of just a short tale with a bit of a sting in the, you know, with a sting in the tail that sort of, mm. um, and uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. And uh, so it was good to go back to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a great story. So should we, let's should we jump forward to yeah. uh, one of the big two. So jump forward sort of a couple of years and uh, we're going to ad- address Marvels. Now we're going we're gonna to talk about issue number one, but I'm sure it'll sort of, the scope will creep a little bit to cover some of the other bits. Yeah. It's a, a four book series, although there is a, 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 an issue zero, which is a bit of a pr- uh, prologue. Yeah. Um, written by, as I said, you, you said Kurt uh, Busiek and uh, art... I can't even say sort of draw, but art by Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give an overview of the plot, like what this is about, and uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's set over a, a number of decades. I think it starts in the late 1930s and goes up mm-hmm. to about the mid 70s. And it is the story fundamentally of just a normal guy. I think he's a, a news photographer, a guy called Phil Sheldon, um, and you know it's his life story between those time periods, but his life story is directly sort of played out across all the major events in the Marvel universe across Mm. those years. So obviously starting in sort of the advent of uh, the original human torch and his conflicts with Namor across the city and seeing how that impacts the everyday people. Uh, And that's just issue one, but then like you said, it goes on and you see the introduction of Captain America during world war two, you go through the sixties and the introduction of the X-Men and sort of the anti-mutant feeling and all the sort of birth of the Marvel universe in the sixties where suddenly heroes are coming out of the into existence left right and center and you see you see it all through the prism of this ordinary man and everything that happens is from from his viewpoint there's no sort of cut into avengers hq where you know the heroes sort of pontificate on what's happening in the world no it's all this guy's life and they're sort of existing they're revolving around him rather than mm. sort of him revolving around them if that makes sense so it's, it's a great book it's a nice twist on a Marvel Universe story and that it's not about any of the main hitters of the Marvel Universe, although they are so present in the story. It's great. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. They are, they, they, their presence is, uh, it, to, put it different, to put it one way, I suppose, this first issue in particular mm. is about acceptance um, yeah. and, and, and how they sort of, you know, this, this age of superheroes. It starts in like 1939, I think. I'm looking at the first page. Yeah. 
Uh, and you get great things when there's some great little nods. And the first page includes not just the sort of uh, the young um, uh, newsman, you know, photographer, isn't it? Sort of, uh, what's it, Sheldon? You, you then yeah. get one of his fellow reporters who's quite ambitious, uh, mm-hmm. a young J. Jonah Jameson yeah. um, sat with him, which is really cool. Um, but I love this issue because it's so about acceptance. You know, it's this thing of like, there's this awe and, oh my God, like, you know, the, the fear that comes with the first time they see uh, the human torch and then he appears on the street and all sort of stuff. And people's sort of different opinions that some are sort of like, oh no, these are, you know, these are amazing at first. Like, you know, your main character's a bit like, reluctant but acknowledges them as sort of like quite impressive he calls them the marvels like you know yeah. that's his name he gives them but then throughout it you get these little nods of people saying something like yeah they're freaks they should they belong in cages these this isn't right they should be stopped and it's um i love how it plays with this idea of sort of um where things like this can sit on you know, on people's radar because there's this the entire section of namor and human torch the first human torch um fighting across new york and you see them sort of fighting on the bridge and all around the city and in the harbor and all this other stuff and then sort of there's this acknowledgement of like they just they are uh, there's this uh, i don't know is she like an army um betty dean a police yeah. um yeah, makes them compromise and see sort of sense and in doing so sort of like they stop fighting yeah. and even like the main character's like and that's it there's no repercussions. They just sort of bugger off. <laughs> and like, yeah. You know, there's no thought to the damage they seem to have done. We just sort of carry on and we fix yeah. things. Um, but then when it goes to war, you, it highlights that um, uh, the, the human, you know, that's when you introduce Captain America and you find out that, like, you know, the human torch and uh, Namor are fighting together against the Nazis. And there's a great scene in the cinema where they've seen this newsreel of the, um, Namor and Human Torch fighting the Japanese, and all that stuff that's gone before is gone. Mm. You know, this, this acknowledgement of them being a threat to humanity and sort of stuff. All of a sudden, they're our boys fighting the good fight, and it all becomes <laughs> yeah. very jingoistic. Yeah, um, I, I just kind of like how this is. It's as you say, it's not about the superheroes. They're there, and they are definitely a presence. And in many cases, they're a shadow. Uh, looming over things um, but it's just how people would react and it feels incredibly heartfelt from Kurt Busiek mm. yeah it does by all means it's it's you know if you can think how the world would react in a real I mean this is done in a very realistic kind of manner it's not done mm. as a fantasy story it's kind of how the world especially back then as well in the you know late 30s early 40s when you know we were living in sort of less enlightened maybe less educated times and they'd react if all of us i mean you probably would still be the same way now to be honest with you but all of us if all of a sudden super powered godlike beings appeared from seemingly nowhere and started you know knocking the hell out of each other across the city and leaving a trail of destruction awake they'd be abject panic and Mm. and fear and and like oh my god is this the end of the world what's happening you know uh, you know what on earth is this did that would that would literally happen you know it's not like um you you know they're not there to sort of make a judgment it's it's just about people's reaction and real people's lives and how you know one man who is 
you know, there's nothing pretty exceptional about the, the main character, the Sheldon character. You know, he's got a good job and, you know, he's, you know, he's at least at the start of it, he's sort of romancing his uh, lady who we know he'll go on to, to marry mm. and raise a family with, you know, but he's, he's in the grand scheme of the Marvel Universe, he's a pretty unexceptional guy. But literally, he's in the thick of, of everything that happens, every significant milestone in the Marvel Universe over the 40-something years that this book covers. He's right there. And it's just a really well sort of thought-out concept. Mm. I mean, DC, DC did something very similar a few years later. I think it was about 2005. They did a story that was almost, the, not verbatim, but a very Legacies. similar concept. Legacies. Legacies that's yeah. the one, yeah. Yeah, where, again, it was a, it was one-man's story, wasn't it? Just, a, you know, mm. not, again, not a, not a superhero, just a, a normal guy like you and me. I can't remember what he did for a living. But, and again, it started in, you know, I think probably the 40s or the 30s and with the JSA and literally all showed his, it was his life story, but all the key events of the DC universe were there alongside it, you know, the, the death of Superman and mm. Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, Batman getting his back broken by Bane and all this, the Nightfall stuff, it was all there. So, and I can understand why they sort of copied it because it's a great concept and, you know, it's not a, a direct sort of, bit of plagiarism but the the concept worked really well I, I like that i like to see normal people's stories against the backdrop of this uber sort of heightened concept of a yeah you know a, a comic book universe it works yeah. great well i think i think the thing is i, I totally agree because i love the fact that there's you know this concept in there hmm. um the one thing in this in this issue and it, this is that thing of how things age and how you know you perceive things there's an event in the first book. And it's, it's, it's good because it's sort of, he comments on it as well mm-hmm. <clears throat> is after the war at some point, or even during the war, I think it is. Um, <coughs> Namor stops fighting, you know, the Japanese and the Nazis and that sort of thing and declares mm-hmm. war on all of humanity. Yeah. <clears throat> and you, you see this thing where um, it's announced they're at a dance you know, this sort of it comes over as almost like a memo that gets sent out to it, and then and then this yeah. idea of them, like you just sat waiting, like, like you know, he's become this unstoppable force, mm. um, and he's around the world. Like, okay, he's now in, you know, he's in, um, what do they say? So he's in Africa, he's in Berlin, he's now in Canada, and you keep hearing this thing like them saying like, oh, he won't come here, you know, he can't mm. come to America, and then all of a sudden it's like. No, 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 he's here. We've got to evacuate. He, he attacks yeah. New York with a tidal wave. Yeah. Um, and then, like, literally, I mean, that sort of comes sort of, clo- you know, that's close to the end of the issue. <clears throat> but the final image of, the, of, the, of this book one is uh, Namor, Human Torch with, what was it? Was it not called Kid Torch. No, it was... Uh, Toro was Toro, uh, that's it, which is yeah. junior psychic, yeah. And then you get Cap and Bucky, and you get um, you know a bunch of other sort of like World War Two, uh, you know, heroes sort of going in on a Nazi stronghold. Yeah. And there's Namor, and you're and it is yeah. like, oh, it's all forgotten. You know, it was talked yeah. out, and I'm like, yeah, but if that was happened today, you know, mm. and they've said, oh yeah, we're going to evacuate or whatever, but that's like. I don't know, billions of dollars worth of damage. Um, yeah. Oh. And it's sort of <clears throat> just this notion. I like the fact it addresses this notion of like, yeah, yeah, they, they seem to destroy things, but we also seem to forgive them quite quickly. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I, I do think is quite interesting. 
it's a strange one isn't it because like you said that image of the tidal wave attacking the city it is literally like something out of a, a film like Mm. 2012 or the day after tomorrow you know where you see these huge tsunamis or san andreas you know where these huge tsunamis appear and decimate major cities i mean and like you said how would you go from doing that and you know basically declaring war on the world and like you said going on like almost a world tour of all these different places and lay you know laying ways attacking africa berlin canada now new york to at the end of the book fighting the fighting the nazis with the invaders and mm. you know it's like how do you reconcile that um you know what i suppose you're sort of left to your own conclusions really because again you only see events of the book through sheldon's eyes yeah uh, well well oh. i have <laughs> i after this after this particular scene because he gets obviously when he's sort of on a rooftop watching the fight and the destruction he gets hit with like a an errant brick which yeah. sort of uh, loses one eye so he wears an eye patch for the rest of the story um so you never quite get to to see um all the only comment you see is his comment saying when i woke up it was all over in more ways than one reparations were being made and the submariner was on the side of the angels again but how how was he on the side of the angels what how did he make amends for what he did is it exactly. just because is yeah. it just because japan attacked pearl harbor and it was like we need everyone all hands to the pump to you know win world war Two, and you know we'll forget about it we'll pardon That's- all that's almost gone. that's almost yeah. how it feels is yeah. that thing of like oh well the reparations you can pay is you can join our side against the mm. enemy um, yeah. and i'll be perfectly honest with you in that you say about this being a good representation of what would really happen mm. it would not surprise me in the slightest you know, any western government who's like actually do we re- do we want to be pissing this guy off or do we want a superpowered <laughs> sort of uh you know like he can fly he's got super strength he's invulnerable Mm. i think Mm. we want him on our side Mm. so yeah all right we'll let that slide for now and um you know then we can go to you know have him covering the war um i I just it's it's interesting sort of that and that probably would happen to some degree but then is it the same as saying and this is going to be really bad so but is it the same as saying like you know oh Osama bin Laden, yeah, you, you, you sort of orchestrated one of the greatest attacks on America, uh, but we've also got this problem with somebody else, and we think you'd be good on our side. I don't know, it sort of feels a bit like, where would you draw the line? Yeah, yeah, I suppose the difference is you never see name, I mean, I would imagine then the collateral damage probably there was, but you never see anyone die as a result of his actions. That's the diff- That's the difference, isn't it? The only person you see di- him directly come into conflict with is the human torch. Yeah. He, you know, he doesn't sort of, other than sort of people trying to shoot at him and him, you know, sort of maybe throwing a police car out of the way while they're shooting at him, while the bullets are bouncing off him. You don't see him sort of deliberately trying to, kill anyone and then you wonder with that huge tidal wave did they evacuate the city in time so mm. although he's like you said it's billions of dollars in property destruction and, and a, a city half leveled but did they get people out in time or did they not you know uh, so it's one of them could you can compare him to bin laden who's a you know committed an act of act of abject terrorism yeah. i'm not I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean though. It's kind of a strange one, isn't it? How he can suddenly go from that to being, you know, fighting the good fight in world war two, um, having literally just, you know, seemingly days or 
weeks before tried to destroy a major American city. You know, it's yeah. like, how do you, how'd you balance the scales? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always have, it's one of those problems I've always had in comics. And I know it's, it's something not to have a problem with because it's, these are comics and these things happen, mm. but villains becoming, I wouldn't say heroes, but joining, as I said, the side of the angels mm. um, is often a bit of a, um, a, a hard pill to swallow mm. uh, and namor is a man you know a man to, unto himself i mean you know I, I wouldn't say namor has ever really been on the side of the angels mm. i think namor serves his own purposes more than anybody's yeah. um but you know when like magneto becomes um you know on the side of the good and stuff you there's always that thing where you're like yeah but he did he, he did do all these other things mm. but, you know, the, yeah you know it's, it's a real sort of like you said it's, it's trying to get that balance um but yeah, uh, it, it's a fascinating notion. And the book itself, like you say, goes through the history of the Marvel Universe, introducing mm. things like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and Spider-Man and the rest of the Avengers and the escalation. Um, and uh, you know, one of my favourite ones in the later issues is it introduces Galactus and you have yes. this massive sort of like shootout and you know, battle between the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and yeah. Galactus. And you sort of like... One of the great things about it, much like with the progression of comics, is that escalation. You know, you mm. sort of like you have that thing with Namor and, and the Human Torch to begin with, and then it sort of goes up further to be, you know, oh, we're now introducing mutants, or you know, now we're introducing people that have been sort of mutated by spe- gamma rays and mm. so on and so forth. Like it's it's a really well constructed book. Yeah. Um, and that first issue is a real doozy. It really is, um, you know, it lays those foundations really well. It does. It just makes it feel like a, a real lived-in world, you know. Mm. And, you know, especially back then as well, where the comic books of that era were very sort of, I don't want to say campy, but, you know, they weren't sort of the realistic kind of, harder hitting books of you know more modern times were they Mm. they were a lot more innocent and a lot more heroes stood with their hands on the hips you know (laughs) fighting crooks and you know saving america truth justice Mm. in america way and all the rest of it um but this although it's set in that time period and there is a certain innocence to some of the way some of the characters act but it just feels like a lived in real world and and deals with the consequences of you know, superhero conflict and things like that. It's just a really well, well put together story. I think, you, you know, you, I care more for this Sheldon guy than I did the Sarah Connor of the previous comic. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, with this guy, like you say, he's incredibly grounded and, you know, and often in these sort of things where you're trying to, you know, have something of this scope, sometimes things feel, feel shoehorned in or they, people have to make ridiculous decisions to, you know in order to facilitate something mm-hmm. but everything in this feels you go yeah i can understand why he's making that decision i don't agree with all of his decisions yeah but i, I understand where he's coming from and you sort of you go on this journey with him of you know at first he literally splits from his fiance because he's like look i how can i be a, a husband and father if mm-hmm. in a world where there, there are these supermen and i can't protect you and the family like it's a very sort of uh, machoistic sort of you know 19 early 1920 or early 20th century sort of you know uh, world view yeah 
and eventually like, as he comes round and sort of learns more and he sort of you know he sees the sort of the just the different pieces when it comes to the end of it there's almost like a realization of like yeah this isn't going away yeah you know exactly yeah th- this isn't sort of a flash in the pan we're now going we're in war we're doing this we're doing that i have to accept it and if i'm going to accept it then damn it i'm going to be at the forefront yeah yeah exactly yeah i think as well it's like the the introduction of to captain america and he sees this guy who's like the red white and blue you know a, a wonderful person for all intents and purposes you know no no dark side to that character and i think it sort of sways him into thinking that you know actually there is good in the world and you know although we've just come out of this you know this conflict with namor and that's like you said he, he sort of broke breaks up with his fiance because of it um he sort of rediscovers it's that after he has the accident to lose his eye he kind of rediscovers his sort of in a perverse way rediscovers his faith in the human race and mm. humanity because he sees that actually there are good uh, marvels for for want of a better word his his terminology yeah. um you know so i think it's you know it kind of acts as that spur to him but um yeah he's a, he's a good character as a lead character he drives the plot really well i think yeah i mean the thing yeah it's one of those he is and i love him it's one of those things where i don't know if you you might know more than me um the book ends as you said sort of in the 70s with him mm. being sort of i don't know middle-aged ish you know yeah. sort of uh, and he uh, there's a wonderful at the very end of it is him passing his his camera on um to his daughter like a next generation mm. and the problem the problem obviously with um an ever stagnant time scale for for comics is you could never you know i'd love did they ever do a sequel because i'd love to go back and go here's sheldon in his old age yeah, going through like the eighties and the nineties and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like him growing old and then looking down at his his, his kids and seeing, um, you know, his grandkids or whatever, and then having to sit and seeing them go through the dark era. You know, sort of all of a sudden, yeah. you got like you know these other these other superheroes. You've got all right. You've got now got Blade and uh, Moon Knight and mm. Werewolf by Night, and there's all these monsters start to appear and stuff in the yeah. late seventies. Like you know, I think it'd be interesting to see how they deal with that. Yeah, that would oh, that'd be good. Yeah, I mean, I've just had a quick look actually, just about that because I've never known if there was something that came after. And it says an act- a sequel was not developed until two thousand eight with the release of something called Marvel's Eye of the Camera, but mm. only Busiek was involved. Alex Ross didn't do the art for that, only, but it was still the same writer, Kurt Busiek. Yeah. And then after that, it says a single issue epilogue was released in late 2019 with both Busiek and Ross returning. So oh. that somehow passed me by, but I, that's definitely what I'm going to seek out as soon as yeah, I've got yeah. a chance to. Because like you said, I want to know where he goes next. You know, I want to, or at least see his view of, like you said, the darker side of things that was to come, you know, when Frank Castle starts walking through the streets of New York. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Ex- executing God, yeah. gangsters left, right and centre, mur- mass murdering people. Uh, well, you know, people who deserved it, people who had it coming, don't get me wrong, but still a mass murderer. How he sort of sees that and does that affect his, you know, we just said he has that more positive mindset with when Cap comes along and sees the, the positivity and america and uh, contributing to the the allied forces winning world war Two, and it's like well would the way the marvel universe goes then sort of 
tipping back towards his attitude of, oh, the world's screwed and what's the point, you know? That would be really cool to see, wouldn't it? Exactly. I'd love that. That's yeah. a really good point. You know, the, the, and yeah. him having to reconcile this thing with, like you said about Captain America, and seeing him in, in you know, the early 40s, and him being able to sort of restore some faith that these marvels can be good, to mm. then sort of having to reconcile with the idea of, well, Captain America's still there, and they're yeah. still doing this stuff, yet they are allowing the Punisher to go off and do this stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, you know, what else happened in the eighties? Secret Wars and yeah, um, and uh, the, the Infinity Saga it? as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, what was that year? It was eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty nine, something, something like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because hey, what if what if uh, Sheldon was one of the people who got snapped out of existence, or his wife did, or his kids? You know, how would that, that yeah. play out? Yeah, you know, if you were just to take it up to like the mid nineties or the mid to late nineties, and give you know, or even up to say two thousand, take it up to two thousand, mm. and then have him as an old man or something like that. There's some mm. great stuff that. Oh, it'd be amazing to see that. I might have to check out the sequels, though. I think through the camera, though, isn't that just... Um, what was it called? Through the lens. Um, uh, eye of the camera. Eye of the camera. Marvel's Eye of the Camera, and it was a... In fact, it was a six-part limited series returning to Sheldon's perspective after his retirement. But like I said, no um, no Alex Ross art, but obviously with the same writer, at least the, the narrative yeah. and the story should be consistent. But yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I've not seen it, so I'm definitely going to check that out because it, yeah, it's yeah. fascinating fascinating concept and it's no wonder like you say that dc jumped on the bandwagon we're like oh excellent idea we'll do ours next yeah yeah um, yeah well that's that's a great read too and it's all it right is. yeah legacies yeah. is really good again yeah. and uh um it, it, it's a it's, it's a wonder because these have got such and again we'll get into the history of the dc universe in a minute but they have got such sort of like deep um histories between them that like you know it's sometimes really nice to get in there and, and to do something with that yeah um so yeah, that's that's Marvel's number one. Marvel's a great book. Um, it is so, highly recommended. Yeah, what I would say is I actually have. I think you get it. You get it. Is um, I've only got a few of them really, but Marvel's uh, the Ultimate Graphic Novel Collection. That's yeah. uh, uh, is this Hachette? Does it Hachette? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I still collect them. Yeah, yeah. So I've got that version. This was obviously an early issue, and I love the fact in this one. Just so for people that if they're looking for it, after each issue they do a bit of a commentary. Yes. And it's got a sketchbook at the back as well of Alex Ross, how he did his art and stuff. Oh, it's and phenomenal, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, some of the special features, like, you know, if, if you're going to do special features in a book, this is how you do it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got interviews with Alex Ross, with Kurt Busiek, with other people commenting on it. Yeah. Excellent edition. Absolutely yeah. excellent. His, his process is fascinating as well, the way he uses real people to pose in the... Mm costumes and the positions that he wants to depict on the panel and then he makes those photos you know he uses his parents standing yeah. his friends he picked photos of himself people he knows and uses those as the basis to create these wonderfully hand-painted pictures i mean it's amazing that he was only 24 when this book came out that to me is staggering. really wow yeah yeah he was born in 1970 alex yeah. ross and this this came out in 94 so yeah, yeah 24 years old and producing a piece of work like this is, is phenomenal the fact that that style of his that is so recognizable isn't it you know yes. anyone can anyone can look at his art and go that's an alex ross uh, picture you know um the fact that at as young an age as that he had his style all finalized and down mm. and so consistently brilliant it's phenomenal it's genius level art as far as i'm concerned 
Yeah, oh, I agree. If he was born like you know what four hundred years earlier, like he'd be a Renaissance master. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. just he's just that level. I think it's, it is. It's because um, you mentioned before, like you know, one of the things you the books you've done on um, mandatory uh, Marvel mm-hmm. DC is Kingdom Come. Yes, and, and uh, obviously done uh, uh, you know art by Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of panels in that, and I've got I've got the big the, the hardback edition of that. Mm. And again, it sort of shows some of the process in the back, and just some of the panels in that are, are beautiful. Like you can yeah. just look at them. And I'm sorry, I just, just admire um, some of the artwork in that book and how he got there. Yeah, is, oh, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so if you love art, like definitely, you know, you may not be a comic fan or not much of a comic fan, but check out Alex Ross. Just some of the work he's done. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, okay. So we're now jumping well into the future. Um, we're sort of leaving the nineties behind and jumping up to 2016. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to be honest, DC trying to, f- trying to fix something that they w- were quite sure was broken mm. is, is how I would put it. Um, we're going to talk about the DC universe rebirth issue one or the one shot. Yeah. Um, what what are your what are your thoughts on this, but also on that general situation that was they found themselves in between sort of what was it two thousand eleven and, and yeah. two thousand fifteen really with with DC and DC New Fifty Two. Yeah. Um, well, I generally speaking really like the New Fifty Two. I know a lot of people didn't. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was parts of it I thought were dreadful. I thought the way they depicted Superman in that period is dreadful you know i don't want to see superman in jeans um which you know jeans and a t-shirt and a bit of cloth around his neck that's not superman you know i want to see the the kryptonian suit you know um but and i quite like new 52 but i think it sort of ties in for me personally is that the birth of the new 52 was my in 2011 was my re jumping on point in terms of reading comics on a weekly basis prior to that um, I'd sort of stopped, I'd, you know, with life and things like that. I would still, you know, be read trades and big stories and that. But in terms of like the week to week continuity and what was actually going on in the universe, I was so far removed from it. So that was my re stepping into the pool, so to speak. So for me, it holds a special place in my heart. But I can definitely see why people don't like it because it, it basically, comic book fans basically don't like change, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, fan, I think genre fans in general are quite reluctant to change, I think. It's not just comic book fans, you know. People like what they like and they like the, the characters and the stories to be the ones that they grew up on, the ones that made them fall in love with the characters in the first place. Mm. And if they don't get that, be it in a film, if they don't get the film, we see it all the time, don't we? You know, toxic fandom. If a Star Wars film isn't quite how the fan base want it to be, or, you know, a a DC film, a Marvel film, anything, you know, a Star Trek film, anything that's got a a built-in long-standing fan base, if if it's not depicted how they want it, then by God, they love letting rip. Um, So I understand why people don't like it because what it did was it basically revamped the entire DC universe. It didn't, you know, do away with characters per se. It did do away with some, but all your big hitters were still there. But what they did was they sort of de-aged the characters a bit. They basically started from scratch with the continuity as well. Um, And people weren't happy about it because it was like they'd sort of 
tossed in the bin all those previous years worth of continuity and storylines so characters that were dead were all of a sudden alive and well again um and people weren't generally happy i think people thought they'd perhaps gone a bit too dark with it mm. um, like i say i liked it but hey ho it's horses for courses and my opinion's no worth nothing more than anyone else's um so what they did was by the time they got to 2016 they sort of made the collective decision or decision was made on high that they were gonna reinvent the universe but not reinvent it like they did new 52 where they basically hard reboot the entire universe this was much more of a very very soft reboot where they didn't throw away the continuity of that world but they sort of gently unwound it and brought back the elements that people really wanted to see and certain characters were back in the frame who weren't back and um it's and this was the conduit for it this from going from the new 52 universe to the rebirth universe as it was called then mm -hmm. is this book which basically picks up the continuity of the new 52 and which we'll get to using sort of certain story devices establishes a new status quo moving forward and does a quite daring sort of approach of bringing in characters um, from the Watchmen universe to sort of set up a future story arc, which obviously culminated in the Doomsday Clock, which was, was from the same creative team of Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's, a, I think this is a great book. You know, it's got all the elements that I enjoy. It's got, more characters in it than you can shake a stick at all the characters you love are in there and it, i think it's just brilliantly written um i think jeff johns um i know there's been a lot of um innuendo and accusations been made recently about his alleged conduct towards other people and i'm only here to talk about jeff johns as a comic book writer not yeah. as, as a person i mean regards all that the truth will come out and if what people are saying about him is true, then shame on him. It makes him out to be a pretty despicable person. And if it's not true, then I feel sorry for him having his name dragged through Just the mud. Like the mud. Yeah. yeah. So either way, the truth will come out. And then either way, we can all be judge and jury then. But um, I'm just here to talk about him as a comic writer. I think he is one of the greatest active comic book writers in the world. I think consistently the stuff he puts out like the stuff you and i've been reading uh three jokers recently which is yeah. his stuff which is great um i think he's a genius level writer you know notwithstanding the other side of him which we'll you know we'll see how that develops down the road yeah. just as a comic book writer i think he is a level without question god tier writer it's, it's interesting like I say, at this point like you say we'll separate artists and, and, and art uh, yeah. for, the, for the sake of this argument but i do i find that john's for me is i agree i think he's great um i think he's a really good ideas man um and i, I do love some of the stuff he's done and, and um you know I, I wasn't i've never read the whole thing i have to admit but i've dipped into like his green lantern run yeah um thoroughly enjoyed like that some of the ideas are, are fantastic some not so much but like i say that's it that's the thing is it hit and miss a lot of this stuff but like i i love his i love it when he does go Oh, we can do we can do all this, and he's also a, a, a bit like we've sort of said with this with, with like Marvels and stuff. This dipping into the universe, like I would never question Jeff Johns' knowledge of the DC universe. Oh no, not at all. You know what I mean? Like this guy knows his stuff. Like he can yeah. reach back into the, the annals of time and, and mm. bring up all kinds of things. And 
you know, it's there and it's, it's in his head sort of thing. You know, probably do some research, but it, it feels all of a of a piece, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So it's it's it is interesting, like you say, because um, I, I'm like you. I think the D the DC fifty two new fifty two um, was interesting. I think it was a brave move on their part. Um, didn't all pay off, like you said, Superman. Um, I'm I'm a massive Grant Morrison fan, and I even I struggle mm. with with his uh, his Superman stuff. Um, but like Batman, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo doing doing Batman. You had oh, like, that's brilliant. Um, went you know Jeff Lemire got to take a stab at uh, Green Arrow. Yeah. And, um, you know some really good stuff came out. Of oh it. yeah, absolutely. Uh, but one of the good ones was Jeff Johns um, Justice League. Yes. And and so again, I was a big fan of that. I really, really enjoyed it. And so that reading this, I'm like, ah, cool. That's really cool. I love this idea um, of well, one of the things I love about the DC universe mm-hmm. is that it's got the de- it's got this sort of like this depth. And I don't mean by depth of history, I mean depth of mystery would be a better way of putting it. Because yeah. um, you know we have all these crises and you have these things going on. And the you know the fact that like Wally West gets gets lost in the in the, the Speed Force, and this whole book is sort of told from his perspective. It's him narrating it and telling these things. Um, I just love this concept of you can be forgotten, but remember, you know, but you can also be remembered. Yeah, and that is such a sort of that's such a comic book thing. Mm. You know, it, there's, there's not I don't think there's any other medium where a character can be sort of like not written about or not really cared about for decades. Yeah. And then all of a sudden someone can write a really good book and everyone goes, Oh yeah. Oh, they used to be awesome. And then go back and like, all of a sudden they're sort of, I don't know, some old run from 20 years ago becomes a bestseller again. Mm. Um, there's not many mediums where that can happen. And I, th- I just feel like that book, this book taps into excuse me, that idea of look, Here's all this stuff from the past and all the stuff that you, you know, may have been forgotten or is a different part of the world or is a different story. And you can you just sort of, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, cool. That, I can't wait to read that. It's, um, it's, it's a book that, const- that constantly sort of goes, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. It is. You, you get, like you said about, john's knowledge of dc universe you get the the sense that he is a, a true fan of mm. the of the universe and of the of the lore of the mythology and like you said his knowledge is you know he is regarded as someone with a you know borderline encyclopedic knowledge of the um of the history of dc universe and marvel universe as well by all accounts mm. um and yeah it's great he, he he can pull out legacy characters. He's, he's throughout his career. He's done stuff like that. You know, when he, he wrote the JSA uh, mm-hmm. some years ago, a, a group that hadn't really been utilized to any great um, stretch of the imagination in the years preceding that, but he made that a top tier book. You know, he's done the same with other things. He, he's very good at taking not unloved or discarded sort of properties and characters, but ones who perhaps weren't getting their time in the sun and putting them front and center and making them relevant again. That's, I think that's his gift. Mm. Um, and like you said, it's great the way he does it in this book, the way he pulls out characters that were 
deliberately removed from the continuity with the new 52. I mean, you know, there's a few that appear in the course of this book, but obviously the main one is, is the, the Wally West Flash, who had been sort of removed from the, the continuity. And the way they come up with a reason as to why that happened and explain where, where he's been, but also explain why no one remembers him and no one's going, where where's Wally been all these years? Where is he? You know, and literally no one remembers who he is when he tries to, you know, he goes to try and, you know, see Batman and Batman doesn't know who he is. He goes and sees his Linda, his ex-girlfriend. She doesn't know who he is, you know, and he goes to see Barry, of course, who, you know, the one person he'd remember he is, but even he doesn't know who he is. And then just, just as he's about to sort of fade back into the speed force for all eternity, all of a sudden there's this light bulb moment and he pulls mm-hmm. him out and brings him back into the world. And then all of a sudden the, the timeline starts to get moved around again. Um, I just think it's, genius writing i mean what a what a great concept i mean how do you come up with something like that to go yeah we're going to do all that and then we we're going to go back to flashpoint which is what created the new 52 but in doing so we're going to explain that this new constituency wasn't the result of barry allen going back in time to create the flashpoint and save his mum from being killed no it wasn't that it was in fact dr manhattan Mm. coming over from basically from the end of the watchman story to this this universe, this dimension, and, and and plucking people out of existence and altering the timeline and remove, like they say, removing ten years of history from the the internal timeline of the comic book stories, uh, just genius story and 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 so creative, I think. Yeah. Oh well, it is. I mean, the thing is, and you know, it's um, this is clearly like you know like you say they're fixing or the fixing is probably the wrong word they are re-engineering what has gone before yeah and setting up the future and there's a massive balance to doing that yeah and what one of the when i've seen this done well and this is it done well right mm. this, this thing of providing a a jumping on point or you know like a, a almost like a junction point for a, for a continuity this is it done well mm. i think i've seen it done horrendously other way and marvel can't seem to do it they've mm. done they, they've done like these big number ones haven't they or sort of yeah kicking things off and there was one was it marvel 1000 yeah i think so yeah yeah uh that came out in the last year the year before and um it was fine but it just felt like a litany of two page stories that didn't really mm. hang together a great deal and i was like oh i'm looking through here to see if a comic character I like is going to appear in the future. No, all right, well, I'll give it a miss. With this, Johns manages to balance um, this this idea of teasing new stories. I mean, literally in the first two pages, he's teasing the three Jokers. I mean, this is 2016. Yeah. And he was teasing the three Jokers. You get, you know, and this goes back to obviously Rebirth. You get teased a new, there's a new version of Superman from a different Earth. Yeah. Um, you know, you get teased... Um, there's a couple of other things, isn't there? There's sort of like the future, future stories that would materialise in Rebirth are teased, yeah, and other things from the past are referenced as well. So you get this this notion that um, let's use, use this example of, of, of Green Arrow and Black Canary have you know are no longer together, mm. and it's never really been resolved in the New Fifty Two. But it also you had a character called. Um, Oh, Pandora. Yes, yeah. And it's almost like, the one thing is that gets resolved a little quickly for my taste, but sort of they resolve that in a way as well. Mm. Um, 
But one of the things I like about this is it has all that, but it also has heart. Yeah. So when you do go, look, here's a new idea about, um, but you know, the, the three jokers, you mm-hmm. then get a moment of, and it's, it's Wally West that provides it. Yeah. These moments of saying like, you know, yeah, the history of change, you get the, his history of, of becoming the flash and you're like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and the, the two that really shake me up and whenever I read it is, is there's a, there's a page. It's not a single page mm-hmm. of uh, the green, green arrow and black canary. Yeah. Um, and Oliver Queen and Diana Lance. And it's like, mm. yeah, they've never really met. They've, there's a clearly something between them, but then the picture at the bottom is like, they're on separate rooms. Yeah. And there's like, they know something's missing and you're like, Oh man, yeah. Get those dudes back together. Like that. They were awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it does that, and then the next page introduces um, Oz, um, which was the Superman story, which you know didn't really play out for me. But it was it's again it plays like this. It puts Mira and um, Aquaman back together. Yeah. And as you say, one of the most heartbreaking moments in this book is when uh, Wally reaches out to Linda, <laughs> and you're thinking, I'm, I'm looking, going, I'm halfway through this book. It's the centre of the book. This can't be the end. No, it's not. Yeah, it, it literally tears him tears him apart. It's it's um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then to have the payoff of, of, of as you say of Barry Barry Allen reaching out and literally saving and, and there's a that moment of acceptance by Wally where he's like I'm forgotten that's it I'm yeah. done yeah and he manages to appear to Barry he's like thank you for everything it's like a couple of pages and it's absolutely like heartbreaking and it feels like you know oh this is just this is just comic books written well Mm. um you know it's just it's just it's just a fantastic balance between teasing what is to come Mm. but making you invest in it yeah it is it is it's it's a this is the perfect jumping on point if somebody who hadn't who sort of maybe had a you know a working knowledge of of sort of dc's characters you know everyone does have i guess these days have a working knowledge of dc's sort of a-list characters because mm-hmm. they're so sort of entrenched in popular culture now but this if you if you'd never sort of read anything and had a, a knowledge of the the recent history of the dc universe or, or should i say the recent history of the dc universe prior to this book in 2016 you could literally pick this up having no real idea of where things have been going in in this world prior to this point and read this from start to finish and never feel massively sort of alienated by it you know you could read it and not be like i have not got a clue what's going on i don't know who anyone is i don't know where they're at in the universe what any of this means because it it does a good job of explaining it doesn't it it gives you it gives you history through because wally's taking you through this world and he's your narrator he's your eyes almost and you know when you get to see his sort of interior monologue it you know it gives you all his backstory obviously over a couple of pages but then also when he goes to see other people he explains why he's there and who they are and who they are um you know so although there might be the odd bit where you know if you were completely coming at it fresh and cold you might be like no i don't quite know what that's all about i think generally speaking it's a really top which was i guess was the aim as well when they were doing this of sort of closing one era and starting off a a brave new one is that Mm. you want you know you want to attract a a new new level of readership and i think it i think whether it did or not i couldn't tell you i don't know what the sales were but i think you know looking at it 
as as a reader i think it does it brilliantly then there's this like you said there's so much intrigue in there for where we're going to go next you know we've set up this universe we've established the status quo we've established that you know the pre preceding years weren't quite right because someone meddled with them you know we don't know who but we there's certainly a lot of hints that this could be this is someone we know this is a character we know from a you know a classic book of yesteryear and then obviously it's confirmed with that final panel where batman that finds a little souvenir in the bat cave and you think jesus christ this they're gonna do it they're gonna they're gonna cross over with these characters i mean it's it it's the ultimate appetite wetter i think yeah it is, and it sets up a lot of good stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, it got it got me. You know, I, I I was reading less and less of the New Fifty Two by the sort of the end. Yeah, um, and it got me back in. It definitely it definitely worked on me. Um, yeah. And since then, you know, I read. Um, I know I've, I've dwindled again. I'd say on, on uh, um, DC a little bit, but mm. yeah, it got me back in. I started reading Batman. I was I loved. The Tomasi and uh, it was it uh, Tomasi and Patrick Patrick uh, Peter J Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. I loved their Superman. Um, yeah, their run of Superman. I, I, you know, and I read a bunch of others. So it was it was a good entry point. I think it must have worked to get others on board. Um, oh yeah, it's a uh, it's it's an interesting thing with comics though because it's definitely that sort of like peaks and troughs. You know, you have something piques people's interest and then it'll tail off and you know sales will go down. And it's that thing of maintaining, I think, that really trying to find a way of maintaining people's attention. Yeah, I think every so often, every few years, you have to do something like this. Mm. Um, you know, I think sometimes they can over, they, you know, both big two companies have been guilty of getting it wrong over the years. And, you know, sometimes you can have one sort of crisis level continuity, altering event too many. But I just think, like you said, you've got to you've got to keep things fresh. You've got to mm. find a new angle and, and a new way of looking at things. So I think every so often you need something like this just to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but just give things a, a fresh coat of paint. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to ask you actually what, cause um, I know some people have sort of different opinions on this. Obviously the introduction of the, the Watchmen universe into this, we, you know, we learned that obviously it was Dr. Manhattan who was behind all, all this. And obviously we, at the end there where we see the comedian's badge and as you know as we are both read doomsday clock and know where ultimately this story ends um in terms of using the watchman characters i know there's some people who are you know hardcore more devotees alan more devotees who think those characters are sacrosanct and to have them involved in this universe's borderline blasphemy um whereas other people are, are you know think it's great i personally think it's 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 great you know um where do you sit on it were you happy to see these characters resurrected and used in this way or were you sort of dead against it or on the no, fence no i was um i'm never against a good story yeah is what i'd say yeah if if they were used cheaply um you know and uh, it was done poorly yeah. then yeah i'd be like yeah it's it's rubbish it's a waste you've, you've wasted this opportunity and that would be it, it, it would it, i wouldn't have been happy yeah. the thing is doomsday clock we had the button as well so you know the, the thing is this wasn't um straight away as well they didn't just jump in and be like here's dr manhattan they, they teased a bunch of other stuff as well 
because uh, like you had the button, which was the Flash and Batman and, and mm. some other bits and pieces. When it got to Doomsday Clock, I think Doomsday Clock is a, is a good book. Took too long to come out. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. But, but, Delayed far too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's all in line with Watchmen as well. So, you know, swings mm. and roundabouts. Mm. Um, it was fine. It was good. I actually really enjoyed it. I think it was done well. Um, for the most part, I think I love Gary Frank as well. So to see it mm. drawn in that way, it mm. was, was excellent. The problem I have with a lot of it is, um, and this is sort of, I find this a little bit, I'm finding this a little bit with Jeff Johns at the moment. Jeff Johns is clearly a, an Alan Moore devotee, mm. but I'm not sure whether he's trying to homage or, Rip, I don't know. There's, uh, it's, it's a bit like with the three jokers as well. Mm. Um, but when I read Doomsday Clock, the ending of Doomsday Clock, and spoilers for those, is obviously the introduction of that new young boy. Yes. Who is, is was, you know, is a super, is a super powered child created by Dr. Manhattan and, and all this other stuff. And you go, all right, cool. Is that ever going to come up again? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, no. And so I'm a bit like, well, you. All you've done then is left it open ended. Like you, this should have been a closed loop. Like leave it yeah. open so you can use the characters again. No, I've got no problem with that at all. Mm. Um, but but this thing of leaving the you know a thread dangling felt a little bit. Was the only was the one thing in that book I was a bit like yeah I don't like that. Yeah. But um, other things in it were great. Like I loved the new Rorschach. I think his story is is, is awesome. Yeah. In fact, I think he was one of my favourite pieces in it. Um, I love this idea of the comedian being being pulled out of time just yeah. before his death. I thought that was um, a nice touch. No, I think it was done well, and so I didn't mind it so much. Um, you know, it, it, the problem was it didn't end up having the impact on the on the DC universe. I think they intended it to, mm. which, which is a bit of a problem. But no, yeah, it's it's a book I'll go back and read definitely. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really good read. I mean, like mm. you said, the the art is is wonderful. You know, it, it serves the purpose of bringing back the JSA and the Legion of Superheroes at the end there, who had been gone through the new fifty two years, also, or gone in the traditional um, guises that we sort of know and love, and how they bring them back. Mm. Um, I suppose, yeah, the universe isn't much different from how it was. At the start, I do know what you mean. Yeah, I, I like the concept. Of, it establishes the lack of the metaverse, where it establishes the concept that everything that's ever happened over the years is canon. Mm. But I guess because obviously we're talking like eighty odd, just over eighty years of history, here and the characters are kind of always preserved at that optimum age. Mm. Is like is that somehow the metaverse sort of re- endlessly kind of recycles itself and reboots itself every every cycle or something like that which kind of explains why you know characters don't age in in real time over the years and how they're all still in the prime 80 years after they were introduced so i kind of like that concept to it um yeah i think there's, i think yeah there's there's some flaws in the execution of it but i think it was a bold move and i'm, I'm certainly mm. not one of those who's like how dare you use these characters at the end of the day they're dc owned they can do what the hell they want with them exactly you know? i mean yeah, yeah. You know, i won't argue that I know alan moore has got his issues and there was a yeah. contract that said you know once the watchman was out of print he'd have it back never going to happen um yeah he's a victim of his own success isn't he that it's exactly. never been out of print exactly yeah. um mm. I, yeah they're a business they're going to use this their characters they can do with the, do with them what they want i've got no problem with that 
if it's not good, I won't read it. If it's great, I'll read it. I'm, I'm you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm happy to see it being used. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 all good. I think um, it, you know, Doomsday Clock has got some really, like I said, got some really good thoughts, some bits in it. It's opened the door for other things to be done. Yeah. You know, uh, we're now getting Rorschach. Uh, yeah. Book, yeah and, just... you know, Tom King's doing that, so awesome. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know that that I'm not going to complain about. Um, and so yeah, it's opened the door to things. The the one thing I would say is, uh, it's a bit like with Three Jokers. Um, two issues in, there's some good stuff in there, and um, you know I like the, I sort of like some of the concept of it. Yeah. But again, it's like this thing of like, okay, who's going to pay attention to this? How much of an impact is it really going to have? Mm. You know. Um, it, it, yeah. I sometimes think DC, a bit like with their film stuff as well, though, it doesn't have a level of coherency that I think it could do with um, when it, when it agrees to do these things. Um, Yeah. I know what you mean. It's like event storytelling, but somehow, well, not somehow, but sometimes not using it as something for the bigger picture, you know, telling Mm. like a, you know, a a big storyline, like you said, three jokers. So it's only a three issue series anyway so there's only one issue left to complete that story and where they've got up to with the first two it's been good it's been intriguing it, you know we're wondering where it's going but kind of like with doomsday clock it, it didn't leave a lot of space at the end to round the story off they kind of spent a lot of time setting up the situation and layering on the story but at quite a slow pace so where you get to the end i think of, of doomsday clock and seemingly three jokers you're like shit we've got one issue left to <laughs> tell a hell of a lot of story and tie up a hell of a lot of threads let's get to it and cram it in i mean they got away with it with doomsday clock i thought the end was pretty good but mm. um yeah sometimes i think yeah with these sort of limited series event stories you know where it's a, a, a finite number of issues sometimes they they spend so long on the setup and the intrigue that they don't leave themselves enough space at the end to yeah really, you know tie everything up the way you want to but you know i I think um they get it right more than they get it wrong i would say oh yeah they do and again i'm enjoying don't get me wrong i'm enjoying three jokers i think there's a Mm -hmm. lot of to really like in there um and i think the way i I like the way that he's writing the the writing them the three different characters yeah you know and and i like that and i think that's really cool and and obviously you know uh, the art again is phenomenal Mm. but the, the problem i have is I'm now reading that and I'm enjoying it. It was teased in 2016. So we, if you were to take that, that's in canon. That's happening. Yeah. yeah. So how the, what the hell's going on with the Joker war then? Which one's that? Who's that then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, that's just finished now. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not read it, but obviously there's an end to that and you can kind of guess who comes out on top at the end of that. Um, you know, same guy comes out on top of every Batman <laughs> story arc. So you can guess, obviously, you know, perhaps without spoiling too much joker don't necessarily get his own way at the end so then how is he still present in that yeah they do they do tend to do that a lot really with the mm. sort of periodical issues is that the chronology doesn't quite line up you know they'll have a story uh, involving one character in one book and then have them in a, con- a story running concurrently in another book and the times don't quite match up and you're mm. like well is this character dead because they're alive still in this book or you know 
how can he, this character be doing this when they've just been soundly defeated in another, you know? So yeah, I know what you mean. It, they, they sometimes I think get the scheduling a bit mixed up. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the thing is a lot of times I don't mind it so much. Like there's little yeah. things like, Oh, Wolverine is on this big event with the Avengers, but he's also doing the thing with the X-Men. I'm a bit like, mm. yeah, that I'm not so worried about. You know what I mean? And, and there's things like that. It's like, oh, Batman's off in space in Justice League. What's he doing with this in, in Batman? Like, I'm not so worried about that. But when you are fundamentally changing a character to be a single, you know, a, a figure of uh, of anarchy and, and evil to being three, and then yeah. you and then you actually, but then you're running a major story across your hundredth Batman issue, you know, or to conclude your hundredth Batman issue called the Joker War. You yeah. sort of go someone in editorial needs a slap to be perfectly yeah. honest um and i think that's the problem with dc they do they, they do that every now and then and you go it's like this could have been easily resolved yeah um, and, yeah anyway i shall stop it's, 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 a, it's yeah it's, i think sometimes you just have to take each book in isolation each mm-hmm. title in isolation you're quite right what you're saying like you know that before the Joker War, there was a run of 80-odd issues by Tom King on Batman, and at various points in that, Batman was literally, like, finished as Batman and, and was mm. not even not even in Gotham City because, you know, again, don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not read that epic run, but like you said, at the same time as those books were being released, he was fighting alongside the Justice League against, you know, universe-level threats. Yeah. But, these these are all supposed to be set in this one universe this one universe that's in this book we're talking about right now but how can that be happening at the same time if this man is is like you know not even in gotham city and he's in hiding and he's you know he's in a bad situation but yet in this other book he's in the costume he's fighting alongside all his super buddies and Mm. doesn't seem to affect us yeah it's it's kind of weird that in a way how they kind of established you know specifically within this book this is the status quo of this universe and all these characters exist in this universe and everything's connected yet one book doesn't relate to the other yeah i know it's kind of it's kind of strange it can be but that's comics that's another another thing you accept of comics and you know like 99 percent of the time i'm fine with that (laughs) but just every now and then you're a bit like oh i wish they'd have just been a bit more consistent yeah Um, i know what you mean yeah but yeah, but I have to say, like the DC Universe Rebirth issue one um, is is a corker. It is, it is an introductory. It's a it's a, a like you said a, a soft reboot done very well. Um, it is, yeah. And uh, so I do think that Johns is very good at that. Yeah, that, that it, sort of thing. Yeah, without question, and it's endlessly readable. I mean, I've had this since it came out, so it's four years or whatever mm. time of the year it came out. Twenty sixteen, four years, four and a half years. But I can constantly go back and reread it and not get you know bored of doing so because at the end of the day it's one issue comic book. I mean, it's an extended one it's about 80 pages so it's bigger mm. than your it's bigger than your average normal 20 odd page comic book so there's there's more meat on the bone than a standard comic book but there's just so much going on in it and so much little bits and pieces of business in there that you know it's it's endlessly readable i think you, you can go back to it every few months and have a nice read of it and, and and something else will grab your attention that you didn't quite grab your attention the first time and it's um it's like i said it's the ultimate appetite wetter it's and i'd recommend it for anyone who wants to jump in who's not kept up with comic book events and doesn't know where to start i'd say start here i'd say start yeah, here yeah. and then 
pick and choose what you want to read coming out of this. Do you want to read Batman coming out of this? Do you want to read Superman? Do you want to read Green Arrow? Wonder Woman, Justice League, whatever you, whatever you fancy, you can pick and choose, you know, cherry pick. But use, I would say use this as your, as your, your starting point, um, as your, you know, your true north, if you will. Just pick this one up, read it through, enjoy it, see which characters catch your eye, which ones you're intrigued about and want to wanna know more about. And, and go from there and, and, you know, go through the last four years worth of, of stories. And you'll be glad you did. I mean, with everything, there's, there's good mixed with bad, obviously, that, you know, there's no one who consistently always knocks it out of the park. But, you know, there's plenty of great stuff been out the last four years that I'd yeah. recommend to anyone. So, yeah, this book is, is great for, re, you know, lapsed readers or new readers who want to really immerse themselves in it. Grab it and see where it takes you, I'd say. I totally agree. I, I agree yeah. with that, definitely. There's been some good stuff from Rebirth. I think Rebirth had, had some really top-notch stories in it as well that were mm. thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, Max, that's been awesome. I've really enjoyed that, and, and thank you for sort of making me go back and read some of these comics as well, because you know, that's one of the joys of me doing this kind of podcast. When I do these Desert Island comics, like it makes me go and either read something I've never read before, or, <laughs> or I go back and read things I've read and I really enjoy. So... Um, you know, it's always fun. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank um, you for having me. It's been a treat for me too, to, to think of something to pick up for reread myself. And yeah, it's been a, a treat. It's been, like I said, an honor to be invited on and a treat for me too, to go and read these. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, great. I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, again, people can find you uh, where, where can people find you? And uh, uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi Byrne, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. Find me on there. And if you look at that page, there's links there to the different websites I write articles and reviews for, so you can check those out, see what's going on. And there's a link on there to the Comics in Motion podcast feed, which my show goes out on, along with um, a litany of others uh, now. There's a, a whole host of different shows on that network, and whatever your taste, I think there'll be something for your fancy there. Uh, yourself, Scott, make regular appearances on a lot of those shows too, so it's um, it's all good stuff. So um, yeah, by all means, check it out there. My show is Mandatory Marvel in DC, but you know I'm just a, a very small part of a much bigger thing, so check it out. I think you'll, you'll be glad you did. I agree. Yeah, if just find Comics in Motion on your podcast catcher, and there are multiple uh, wonderful podcasts going out at the moment, almost daily now. I think, isn't it? Like at least at least pretty, six, five, pretty six much. Yeah, five or six yeah. days a week, a new episode drops on on the, on a different sort of topic and a different um, show by different hosts. So uh, yeah, and as far as I'm aware, it won't be too long before there's probably something for every day of the week. So mm. uh, yeah, it's plenty of uh, good value on there. So uh, yeah, Definitely. if you. If you're into, into it, get on it, yeah. Excellent. Well, Max, it's been a joy, uh, and I'm sure I'll have you on again someday. Uh, but, but for now, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, guys, just a quick note that Max has been in contact since the show, and there is Marvel's Eye of the Camera. This is an extension of this universe in which Sheldon does experience things through the 70s and 80s and, and beyond. So if you do want to see more of this, go find that. It's Marvel's Eye of the Camera. That's a sequel to Marvel's. Uh, not read it yet myself, but I probably will check it out. Uh, but beyond that, thank you very much for listening. As always, I appreciate 
all our listeners and supporters. Uh, if you want to find us on the Twitter, it's at 20th Century Geek. If you've got comics you think we should be checking out and you'd want to recommend us talking to, let us know. Find us there on at 20th Century Geek. Or email me, 20th Century Geek at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, all under 20th Century Geek. Uh, and if you like what we're doing, don't forget we have a Patreon page where I do a monthly podcast called 30 Minute Thoughts. Uh, People get to choose what I talk about, and then I give my thoughts for 30 minutes. And that we've also introduced what I'm calling the Quarterly Creator Corner. Every quarter, that's four times a year, I track down and I sort of bring on a, a creator Uh, to come and talk about their craft and projects they're doing at the moment. So please come and check that out. So anyway, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening uh, and uh, have a good time and I'll see you on the next episode. Mm